0: use the podcast and so i didn't want to give a ton of intro about when i say pb that's pastor brian williams but affectionately and and still reverential uh i call him pb but the reason i didn't want to give a ton of my own intro because i'd like for you to hear it in his own words all right and then um and then we'll explain some more and hopefully if i watch my time right if you guys got any questions comments rude remarks you can let him know and scoot some this way, because just in case, you do get, I mean, I, where are you, we are maintaining six feet of social distance. All right. Let so me turn. Someone, you're, I think you're on, um, is it on mute? Is it on, is it empowered? Let me see it. That's on. Say it now. Checking. Okay. Oh, so
1: I back. thought I hear it. You hear it? Check, check.
0: Is it on? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. All right. Um, let me t- turn that off. So tell us your name.
1: Although i said this. <laughs>
0: State it for the record. Okay, I got you. Uh, I'm Brian Williams. And where... where Just like the news guy. Just like the news guy. I still have a job. All right. Um, (laughs) Ooh, okay. Just not thought about that. Uh, Where are you serving now?
1: So uh, I'm originally from Beckley, West Virginia, um, and currently doing a church plant just outside of Buffalo, New York.
0: And in what main leadership capacity have you served?
1: So I was a youth pastor full-time for two years from uh, 95 to 97 in Ashland, Kentucky, and then pastored um, this guy and his family for 11 years in um, Lincolnton, North Carolina, and have been in our current setting. We moved in 2010, so 10 years that we've been in the Buffalo area, you know.
0: Just want you to know, I went to college, and then he had to move.
1: Yeah,
0: that's right. Um, and then how long? And that's a, how long have you been? Like, so that's a total of how many years in ministry? Twenty,
1: twenty-five.
0: Yeah, sure. and you yeah. know that? Like, was it your first day of preaching or when you were called? I mean, because usually honor that date. Yeah.
1: What is that? Yeah, I started preaching. Actually, I was fourteen. There you go. That's um, when I preached my first sermon, yes, um, nineteen eighty-eight. So June the fifth of, of eighty-eight. Went to college out of high school to a Bible college, graduated, and then into full-time ministry right out of that.
0: And, and that that brings up to a great point, which is why I wrote these questions. Um, how did you discern God's leading to ministry in the full? Again, we, uh, you know, we're all called to ministry sure, in sure. A, in a capacity of leading the church and yeah. equipping
1: the saints. I'll try not take too long to answer some of these questions. Um, <clears throat> so the church I grew up in in West Virginia. It was a very unusual time for our church. It was just a. The only thing I can say. Is that it was just a spirit of revival, um, and in a period of about a year, we had six um, six young men that that were called to preach in that period of time. Um, five of those are in full-time ministry still today, uh, which is uh, which is really cool. One's a chaplain for state police in West Virginia. Oh, um, I do, yeah, I yeah, uh, I yeah. One yeah. of. Um, one of the others is now serving with me in, in Buffalo. There's one that's a full-time evangelist, a couple other guys that are pastoring. So um, So all that's happening in the church, and um, I'm just trying to kind of catch my breath through it all. like what in the world is going on? Um, because I sensed something. Um, my dad is not a believer, so the um, opportunity for me to have a, a dad that I could bounce this stuff off of was not there. Um, So, began some conversations with my pastor, our associate pastor at the time, and um, just genuinely sensed, like, um, God may be calling me to preach. And I'm not, I'm an introvert by nature, I have no desire to be, like, on the stage, like, did not, that was not me. Um, So, um, I remember the associate pastor of my church (laughs) said to me, he said, so let's do, like, I'm just going to schedule you, here's the date, and you're speaking this night, and he said, "I genuinely think like you'll know when you finish if this is God's call in your life or not." Now, whether that was right or wrong um, in terms of approach, I knew when I finished, like stepped down from the podium, and was like, "Okay, he's exactly right." And I knew uh, that summer was like six minutes long. <laughs> that was like <laughs> with like an, ex- an extended invitation and all kinds of stuff just to get it there. Like it was, it was so bad. Um, and I, I preached the harvest is plenteous, but the is a few. That was my that was my very first sermon. Um, so anyway, it was a roundabout thing of what was happening in the church, and then just sensing that um, that desire to do something, and just trying to kind of discern what that was until.
0: Two follow-up questions on that one. One, when you say sensing, is that just something completely indescribable and intangible? You know, intangible, or are there any things you can give them that would be objective markers. Like, these are things that if you believe this, think this, hear this, Mm -hmm. uh, is something that you need to take seriously. Sure,
1: yeah. Um, I think it was, I think there was both. I think there was some, there was a a really strong emphasis on preaching Mm -hmm. and the need for preachers. Um, So we were hearing that um, in, at that time, youth meetings and youth camps and, uh, services and those and our church was was structured in such a way that the youth were very involved. Uh, so there was never a um, you know we, they did the thing again right or wrong, this is what they did back then. Um, once a month was a youth service, you know that somebody was going to speak, um, the kids were going to sing, youth group was going to sing, youth choir is going to lead the service, kid ushers, you know whatever, all the, the stuff. Um, so there was a, a constant from the word, um, hearing of the need, um, and I think that's really where it began was seeing okay, there's this need for laborers, that, my sermon, Matthew 9, um, but there was also what was happening on the inside for me was that, okay, Holy Spirit, is this where you're taking me? Because I didn't, I didn't necessarily sign up for this, but I'm, but I'm game if that's, what, if that's where you're taking me. So I, I would say it's kind of twofold. It was the Word doing its work. Uh, while the Holy Spirit was also doing do His work.
0: And I do think, <clears throat> I don't want to get too much into my thoughts because I'm here to your thoughts. Do you think that there is, like, every minister called experiences the tension of an absolute initial reluctance and yet simultaneously there is the, you know, like you said, the desire? Mm-hmm. I, I, very. I, and the reason why I say that more, this is more anecdotally. Like, almost every guy I've ever talked to, I've never seen somebody who was not reluctant at you know at right. least yes. on some level. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean?
1: I'll answer that in a different way. Yeah. <laughs> the only ones that I've ever talked to that didn't have that reluctance didn't last in ministry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: amen. <laughs> That's all that like, yeah, the ones that are like too gung ho, yeah. like you're not yeah. going to make it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the other anecdote, because I read this in a preaching book, and it's just interesting that you, you know, that you said it and you identify yourself that way, is how many pastors, anecdotally this book said, 70% of them are introverted, Mm -hmm. which when you think of the job of a pastor, it's so relational, but it's the, uh, what they don't see is the many hours, actually behind the scenes, not on the stage, that may take up the brunt of the job, right? What would you say, I mean, do you think that's generally true?
1: Percentage wise, yeah. That's what I'm yeah exactly. Uh, Yes. Yeah. Um, So, in my current context as a as a church planter, um, I had to forcibly (laughs) shift that percentage way back because when you move to a town where you know nobody and it's you and your family, um, like you've got to go somewhere and meet people and you've got to get out there where where they are and for a year ish. Um, I was not preparing sermons every week. I was just meeting people every week. Um, so, <clears throat> in a perfect world, I tell my, I tell the guys that are on staff with me. In a perfect world, I would never leave my office. Like, um, give me a book and my computer, and like I can stay there all week long. Um, so, I would say that's that's a pretty fair assessment yeah. of um, the breakdown of time and the percentage. Yeah. And I, th-
0: I think it's one of those ones where the more I've learned, it's it's also not being hip hypocritical or not true to yourself when you have to operate in that other type mm-hmm. of personality. Right. So if you're extroverted, there is going to be times, yes, you're going to have to get into the study, close the door and do the hard work. And then for me, which that comes natural, I love that part where, okay, here's an event or a community thing, and I've really got to do my best to engage and not have my mind elsewhere, you know. Yep. But it's funny how that, that per, your personality affects your ministry in that yes. sense. So has someone invested in you as a leader? And if so, like who and how?
1: Um, you know, there's probably three or four guys that come to mind. I mentioned my pastor. Um, at the time, he, he and his wife didn't have, my pastor growing up, uh, they didn't have any kids. Um, so he, <clears throat> in a sense, adopted us. <laughs> um, and especially just kinda um, for me personally, and we still have a good relationship today. He, he had had a moral failure and was out of ministry for many years and a uh, very difficult thing for him. Um, so he did in, in that way. Um, and then I had a, a, um, a college professor that I would say still continues to do that. Uh, in fact, we were scheduled to have dinner with he and his wife on Thursday of this week. They live in Nashville, Tennessee, and we were going that direction and um, plans because of... Um, COVID, our daughter, let me back up, our daughter is visiting colleges right now, um, so we were going to be visiting a college in Nashville. They just had an outbreak on campus, and it's like, nope, we're not going there, so, um, um, <clears throat> but his, um, Danny Dwyer's his name, you may remember, oh, yeah. yeah, he um, just still, we had, a, we had an issue two months ago um, with a guy in our church that we had to deal with this is much more than you're asking, but we had to deal with some church discipline stuff in a church plant um, when there is not membership, per se, uh, but how do you deal with a guy that's propagating false doctrine and slandering the church and leadership? And so he was a guy that called, and we FaceTimed for, you know, um, he and the other guys on staff with me for two hours, you know, just kind of um, but even out of that, like he's texting me of, hey, I know this is really tough on you as a pastor, praying for you, how can I help you? Um, so he's, he's consistently been that guy since 91, has been one of those guys that just has regularly, um, sometimes without knowing it, but that those times that I needed to know it, you know, has stepped up and done that. So those two men especially, I would say have, have been real key.
0: Did he not, is he not the golfer?
1: Yes. Yeah. Because
0: I played golf with him one time. Uh-huh. He took me and Samuel. On the second hole, he birdied it from <laughs> 70 foot out and walked off like,
1: That's no right. big deal. Me and my buddy, we going like, what? Yeah. what? He played a couple senior PGA events. Yeah. He was on senior Ridiculous. PGA we we, we,
0: we knew then. Running. We're like, uh, yeah, we're golfing yeah, with the wrong guy. Uh, yeah. 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 That's excellent. Um, a big one, and I know we've talked about this. I mean, even whether it's family and ministry or even ministry and school because of college oh. and, you know, how do you balance the two? And I know that's like such an unfair question, but people just want to know, in, in you know, in your life, how has it worked well, and then times where it maybe
1: not worked well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I will say this and be transparent: I've never done that well. In my opinion, um, I don't know that I've ever mastered the art. Um, but what I will say is when when the time or the situation forced me to, I could adapt and do it very well. But it always seemed to be a little short bouts. So I, I don't know that I've ever done that as well as, as I think that I, that I should have. Um, I am blessed in regard to um, my wife, they just walked through a few minutes ago, but if you met her, she's, uh, she's a huge part of, um, you know, of my ministry. And so the balance is a lot easier when you're with somebody who loves and is passionate about the ministry as you are. Um, So the balance is a little different in that she's not just sitting at home wondering what's going on. She's, okay, what do I need to be doing? How can I be involved in this? Um, So that's made it a little easier. Um, I don't think I've ever done a really good job. I think I do it better now probably Mm -hmm. than I ever have. and that's just, you know, I think you you kind of find your pace and your rhythm for, for how that works. Um, and then you learn to schedule days off or schedule evenings at home or schedule things to where that, um, it's not a constant overload on you and your family. Um, and trying to find that. And and she and I, we've been married for 25 years now. so. Um, we're very honest with each other about that kind of stuff, and so there are times that she will just look at me and say, "Okay, something's got to give." Yeah. Like, and I don't. exactly. <laughs> uh, and part of that—that's not like a, um, I'm leaving you. That's—that's yeah. <laughs> no. that's a. I can see it in your eyes. No. Like you're, 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 wo- you're weary. You know, mm-hmm. you're, uh, you're draining yourself, and thus draining us, kind yeah. of thing. Um, so I, you know, I think. Your wife is a very important part of that, Um, but learning what the rhythm is and then trying to adapt that and find, you know, my schedule now is much different than whatever has been because I don't have, I don't have deacons meetings, I don't have regularly scheduled church meetings per se, I don't have a standing night of visitation or whatever. we're still, good as time. a church, we're young enough if it's like, we don't like this anymore, good, kill it, let's yeah, go, let's it. move on. Yeah. You know, so, um, that that can always oh. happen, but um, in our current context, it can, yeah. and sometimes it has to happen.
0: I'm going to say this uh, for the sake of some who may hear it now or hear it later, what would you tell a guy, because I remember having these conversations mm-hmm. when we were in college, would we tell a guy if they're dating somebody right now, really contemplating mm-hmm. marriage, and that the person they're dating wants nothing to do with the ministry and they're considering
1: it. How, how nice should I be? How yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm They need to know. Yeah, I, you know, you're just, it's just a, a setup for failure. Yeah. One way or the other. there, There's either going to be a moral failure down the road. There's going to be a marriage that um, is just another, another statistic. Yeah. Or the ministry's going to suffer because of it because you can't, um, there's there's no way, yeah. uh, there's just no way. Um, so you know the, one of the things I have talked about Danny Dwyer a moment ago. One of the things that he would say to us in college is, you make sure she's got the same heart you do because if not, it's going to be a really rocky road yeah. when it when it comes to ministry. And if if Emily didn't have that heart, we wouldn't be in ministry today. There's yeah. just no way. Um, so I, I think you've got to have that. Yeah. And um, for me personally, I would not marry a couple if i saw that starkly if he was claiming absolutely. or yeah yeah, yeah vice versa. Um, because it's got you got to get on the same page on those yeah. kind of things yeah and that's
0: even if she was a christian you're saying i <clears> mean it's like a, yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and it's weird I, I would have never been as stark about that but the older i get mm-hmm. like my wife is equally called or passionate about ministry maybe even sometimes more so than i mm-hmm. my favorite statement about it clayton king said this way you can do ministry with the wife but you can't do ministry against one yeah and it's just, and I have found that over and over again with other ministers, like, yeah, it rings true. <clears throat> yeah. Like, so if you think you're gonna turn her, <laughs> yeah, well, you're not.
1: I mean, <laughs> like it's just. One of the guys on my staff, his his best friend, um, did that. Married mm-hmm. a girl that um, just was not. She was not there ministry wise, and he took his first church, and it was a train wreck. Yeah. Not because the church was bad. Not because he's bad; he's a decent preacher. But it was a until the point that he resigned the church, and now sells like promotional materials for businesses. Or I mean, it yep. was so he had to completely to salvage his marriage. Had to walk completely away from yep. ministry because she couldn't do it.
0: Yeah, and and you would salvage your ministry. I mean, you would let your ministry go to salvage absolutely. the marriage. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, how many times have you wanted to quit? <laughs> That's my favorite one to ask. I you know, minister. right?
1: You know, I, Josh sent me the the questions a couple of hours before we before we came tonight, so I, I had a little bit of time to think about these. Absolutely, you know, I can I can only remember probably two or three times legitimately in 25 years of ministry that I was that I could have just walked away yeah. and been done. Um, and it's interesting, and you know the, the context, but the church I came from was, I mean, they were super good to me, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Um, his dad was right-hand man, very supportive, very encouraging. Um, so I was blessed in that. I've never had the situation where um, I had the war, it was a war zone to walk into a deacon's meeting yeah. or, you know, or the constant push of the church of, we're going to vote you out if you don't change So I've never had to deal with that kind of stuff, so um, mine I can trace back to the times when I was I was just absolutely spent emotionally, physically, spiritually in every way, um, and it was that Elijah kind of thing yeah. of Take man me, I gave it everything that I've got and yeah. like here I am nobody nobody cares about this as much as I do and um, God's gonna know there's hundreds of prophets over here like why do not you just worry about yourself and let's let's move on um, so I you know I would say there are one time early on in ministry, when I was a youth pastor, that, um, you know, we just, I knew I wanted to pastor. I love that guy and still do. We're friends to this day, but, but we just didn't work well together. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were just like, felt like it was this constant um, We're beating our heads against the wall on some things. So, you know, that one came early on. I kind of expected that one. Mm -hmm. uh, because they say within the first couple of years you're gonna you're gonna hit a point where it's like you're either gonna push through or you're gonna break and we and we did. (laughs) So that I would say, you know, probably two or three legitimate times that I would say we just were so weary that it's like, Okay, do we need to just move, fold this thing up and go on? Like what do we what do we need to do at this point?
0: Couple follow <clears throat> couple of follow-ups on that, just on that last part. Would a would a sabbatical have helped or not?
1: Uh, yes, yeah. I would say yes. And
0: when? How long do you think it? Like, at what point would have been helped? What point would have been like too late? You see what I'm saying?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I would say let me let me go back to that. The the first situation, a sabbatical probably would not have helped. Okay, yeah, okay, because it was not. It was just a difference in personality Personality, and philosophy and some of those kind of things that we just couldn't. Um, The other times, I, I would say yes. But I don't, know how you, I don't know how you schedule those yeah. to be at the right time. Like, we yeah. know that 2020 is going to be the worst year ever. So, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like... Um, I'm I I, calling on that sabbatical. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. It's like a mulligan. Yeah, can I turn this in? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As
0: I've soon got as got you get hired still. in a place, <laughs> they give you a token. Like, you got to use it wise. You only get one of them.
1: Yeah, I don't, you know I, don't know, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that I, that I would like to say, one of the things that we're trying to instill in our, in our ministry now... Is to be surrounded by by men that recognize those things and can say, "Okay, like you're gonna need you're gonna need some time here. Yep. Uh, you need to heal. You need to move um, through some stuff. Um, you know." So, I, I, I think while the the idea oftentimes is deacons, elders, leaders in the church, you know, you can't be um, you can't be close with them. <laughs> That's one of the, my yeah. answers to one of the other questions I'll talk about in a minute, but um, I think so, those guys can be your best friends, friends yeah. and they can speak to you in some ways that you need to hear, um, and you need some people like that that you can trust that that know that and see that.
0: I, I interviewed, um, what was the worship minister at camp, Chris? What's his last name? If it hits you, just scream it out, okay? But anyways, he. I love how he summed up he almost said identical to what you said. He said he realized maybe too late, but nevertheless, that rest is a community effort, mm-hmm. and sometimes it does <clears throat> mean guys coming up to you and going, "Yeah, you're just gonna, you're going to stop for yeah. a minute." Yeah. And uh, so I thought that was really, really That's good. Yeah. Um, but here's the other part, because these, so you may have some guys in here that are you know, considering uh, full-time like preaching ministry, but guys who would definitely. One day, if not soon, be qualified as deacon, I mean, mm-hmm. biblically qualified as deacons. Sure. What What is it that you would say as a pastor? And I don't mean just for here, because these guys could be anywhere. Absolutely. Yeah. That this is this is what pastor. Mm. This is the relationship between pastors and deacons.
1: Mm. I don't know how much we go into um, church structure. And- <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, no, just just smidge, but yeah. <laughs> Um, I, without getting too far in the, in the side of um, church government type stuff, because <clears throat> that's one of the things we're wrestling through right now, so yeah. that's like top of my mind. Um, but I do think, I, I think there again is that misnomer that I'm a deacon, he's the pastor, we can't, we can't be friends or we can't be on the same page, or I've always got to like hold one trump card, <laughs> you know, if I need it that I can use um, against him or whatever, um, I think the the healthy, the healthier churches are those that the relationships between the pastor and those leaders is a very strong one. Mm-hmm. And that it's not a, now remember we, we write your check <laughs> or a remember we can, we can vote you out of here as fast as we voted you in kind of thing. Um, but instead of a, it being a partnership in that in that ministry, where that they can work together and serve together, um, again back to the Lincolnton context, um, my best friends there were, were deacons, uh, most of who I put on as um, a part of that deacon board after I got there. So that created a very healthy environment, in my opinion. Your dad may say differently, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, no, I think it was a very healthy environment, but we um, we knew where those boundaries were, you know, and, and I think you've always got to have those, and certain contexts require that more than others, um, but I think this thing of, I've got to always be on the opposite side, or we've got to be, you know, I, I think a I think the church suffers yeah. um, out of that mentality.
0: Um, number six, uh, and that's, we're at halfway, and I'm, we're at 805, and so I'm doing good, I feel like, once um, been, and I put it in quotes because I don't think the Bible has any secrets. It's an open book. You just need to find it out. If you don't know it, it's your own fault. But what would you what would you consider a secret to not morally failing? Sexual immorality, uh, you know, any type of abuse. Those are the things. I mean, because it's it is rampant yeah, in the yeah, church, yeah. and all of us are susceptible. Yeah. So what are what would you say is a secret to you know, guarding ourselves from that.
1: Uh, I would say a couple things. One, of course, is um, a healthy relationship with your wife, uh, I think, is very important. Um, And in that, even an open relationship where that it's, um, you know, I know guys that um, they have a password on their phone that their wives can't see them, like, Okay, what world are we living in? That, that's a healthy thing, you know what I mean? Um, so I, I think that's first and foremost, is having that kind of an openness in a relationship. Um, I think accountability is, is a big thing of having some guys in your life that can just call you at any time and say, okay, have you looked at porn this week? Like, um, what's your relationship with your wife like right now? What? And, and I've got a couple of those guys, and they'll do that. They'll call me from time to time, and they're just like, um, and they're not pulling punches. Yeah. And like, I can't lie to them. Like, you know what <laughs> I mean? It's yeah, like, yeah. what good is that? Um, I think having those kind of guys that that can hold you accountable and ask the tough questions is has has been for me um, a very positive thing. But that's that's tough. Mm-hmm. That that's um, you know because whether it's because of being an introvert or whatever, like, I don't, I don't relish on sharing my stuff. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I just, uh, let me roll and do my thing. So that's a, that's a hard one, but I, I think those two things are, are crucial. Um, but probably even more importantly, is just you know your own walk with the Lord, not, not suffering um, and not just becoming what we do because it's our job. But it's what we do because it's our growing relationship with Christ, you know, first and foremost, um, you know, and there are guys um, that genuinely struggle. Um, and by God's grace, I've not, I've not walked that path. Yeah. Um, but I have one of the guys that's on, that's on my staff. I, he wouldn't mind me sharing, but he has struggled, struggled yeah. through college with, um, with pornography. And it. It would still remain an issue, but one of the things that we've even said as a staff is like, okay, I can walk in your office at any time and say, open up the computer. Let's let me see your, you know, let me see your, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, your pay, your history. Um, and so we have that kind of relationship, and he's he's been very open to that. And early on was like, that saved me yeah. <laughs> a number That's of times. Not. That it's like, oh no, I can't do that because you know. So um, I, I think this idea that i'm just kind of in my own little bubble is is very dangerous yeah. but surround yourself with some guys that you'll allow to hold accountable and maybe even you know to hold you accountable yeah. and if that's a tough thing you know i've got a guy in our church that we do the um he does the covenantized stuff yeah. you know that's a much less awkward <laughs> thing yeah. but it's every every thursday my phone's gonna ding here's the report for him and i and he knows that i get it every week Um, But we don't have to have the conversation every week. But if there's an issue, and he knows I'm going to hold him to it. So, um, you know, finding those avenues, whatever that looks like. um, And I just, that's just dealing with the sexual side of it. Um, You know, of course, the practical stuff of, you know, not putting yourself in a situation where you're counseling a woman alone. You know, you're not um, alone at at night at the church with another lady. You know, it's just, some of that's common sense, I think. But I think we can... Easily justify and say, Yeah, but I've got a pastor and I've got a shepherd. Um, man, find ways to like, protect that in every way possible.
0: Um, number seven, because I don't, I don't
1: think I want to, do I want to follow up? I'll wait on that one, see if I got time.
0: Seven. Uh, what's been the biggest mistake you've made in ministry? Isn't that awesome? That's a great question. The biggest mistake, besides me.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, that's a, when you've got 25 years, it's hard to pull one. You know, I would say, it's, it really is hard to, to say one particular thing. Um, I think I made a lot of mistakes early on by neglecting my family, my children, for the sake of ministry. Um, so a little bit of context. <clears throat> um, 97, I came to pastor in, in Lincolnton. How old were you? I was 23 at, at the time. Um, so came to pastor then. Um, Ninety nine, we sold the church building that we were in we were building um, and we had to hurry I don't know how much of this you remember, I remember. but uh, so we sold the church building and had to finish another building and all of this within like a six-month period at the same time Emily is pregnant with our first child and I started seminary yep. um, all this happens like and I'm just kind of thrust in there Um, and not only was that dangerous for me because I was, I was just, because we were doing everything we could by ourselves to, to build the church and save money. And, Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't know what I was doing, but I was a good helper, you know, um, so (laughs) it's like (laughs) Frank always called me a gopher so I could go and do, uh, go do that kind of stuff. Um, but those, Emily would say like that was, that was a very tough year because I, um, by nature of the beast like just had to neglect a lot of things really so the end of the pregnancy she gets put on bed rest um, but I don't have time to stop like mm-hmm. you know it's like I'll be home this evening have fun in that rocking chair till I get home today um, and I wasn't quite that crude about it but I may as well have been like yeah. you know so um, those were those are some of the hard lessons that that I had to learn early on and so probably some of my biggest mistakes I, I think go back to that um, I think probably, and it's not one particular case, but I've gotten, maybe it's because of age, maybe it's because of the guys I'm surrounded with, whatever, Um, but I've gotten a little more, um, maybe a little more brazen uh, about dealing with stuff as I've gotten older. So I think I probably let some things go from People that were in leadership positions or expectations out of certain things, that it was just like, okay, I'll just turn back because I don't want to have to, I don't want to ruffle the feathers and, you know, make any waves. Um, And I think early on, I probably should have been a little little stronger as a leader that that I probably was not. Uh, So those are probably the two things that kind of stand out in my mind.
0: What's been your biggest joy?
1: I have enjoyed the last 10 years of ministry more than any of the other 15. Um, doing the church planting thing yeah. has been, um, it, it's been really cool for mm-hmm. us. So um, we went to Buffalo, New York, not because we were appointed to, because we genuinely felt that's where God was taking us. Um, moved there. We moved into this apartment complex. We didn't know anybody um, and started just kind of digging this thing out. And the, the, the joy of the last 10 years of watching people, Um, and this is going to sound worse than what I mean it, but not watching people that have been in church all their lives finally get it. Um, but watching people that have been blinded Mm -hmm. by Catholicism for their entire lives when the light comes on and they go, huh, I never knew that. Um, and, and one of the, so we have a, we have a death ministry in our church and, um, our goal is long-term, we want to have a, a deaf church, completely deaf church. Um, but anyway, I, we did a, a deaf comedy night, uh, like five years ago, it was the coolest thing. So we bring in this deaf comedian who was a pastor. Um, I had no idea that this even existed. A, no, I, so, I'm gonna oh, say, like, right, one thing the, I may take away from this It's the coolest is thing, it, it really I mean, was, that's... man. So we went um, and invited our, our church people to go. And we had to experience it like our deaf people normally do through an interpreter. So he's, he's doing all this stuff on stage and they're all like cackling and laughing. I don't have a clue like <laughs> what he's just said. Um, but that night, they, one of the local colleges, it's actually a Catholic college, brought over a group of students that were student interpreters because where else can you go and see a deaf comedian yeah. and get to practice? Um, so long story short, on the van that night was was a girl named Rachel, and Rachel um, goes to Amanda, our our interpreter, um, after service, after the thing is over, and says, she says, um, "I want what you have, and I want to do what you do." Mm-hmm. And Amanda said, "Sunday mornings, ten thirty, like it's every." So she lives like forty five minutes away from us, and started coming on Sunday just to watch the interpreter. Um, Well, while she's watching the interpreter, she's hearing the gospel. And it took about two years for her. She's brilliant, she's a brilliant girl. About two years for her, she's going through this whole transformation, um, eventually gets saved and like, I mean, she's like the real deal, like super cool. So she is now reached, we have another girl who's an interpreter. Uh, Rachel's now one of our interpreters she's got another girl who was in one of her classes that she taught that started coming, (laughs) and says to Rachel, I really, I like what you do, and Rachel says, 10.30 on Sunday morning. (laughs) So now there's Leanna, and Leanna's boyfriend, Bobby, we baptized three weeks ago, um, who started, so it's watching as all this stuff is like transpiring, and I was telling Josh at at dinner tonight, um, there's a girl now that Rachel, going back to the same girl, had been witnessing to a girl. She came to some of our Zoom Bible studies over the summer. Um, She's got three master's degrees from a Catholic seminary. If she were a man, she would be a priest, fully vetted, um, is applying for a PhD, like just brilliant girl. Um, But through COVID is like, I don't have anything to do. And Rachel's like, why don't you come to one of our Bible studies? And she did. And so she's now um, on this journey. My wife talked to her today. She's on this journey of... Catholicism, as much as I know about it and have invested my entire life in it, um, there's something missing, and so she's on this journey now. So uh, the greatest joy has been watching people that are legitimately, their lives have fallen apart, they've had nowhere to go, a church has opened up in town. And they hear the gospel. And to watch that transformation has just been the most exciting thing. And and one of the coolest things is I can't, it's not even me going, well, I reached him and her. And it's like, no, God just orchestrated this thing. And to watch when the light bulb comes on and they start getting it has just been, um, that's been my greatest joy. um, Outside of the other thing that I would say is, um, and it's not because I'm here, but guys like you, um, watching... God call young men, and seeing them kind of one of the guys that's on staff with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was his youth pastor um, right out of college, answering a call to preach, pastor the church in Alabama. Came on staff with me. So um, when I think about, that's the two things that stand on my mind: is the guys that are coming up behind me, um, and then the the light bulb Boy, for the yeah. people that in the ministry we're doing now.
0: Knowing what you know now, what would you say to yourself when you first started
1: ministry? <clears throat> don 't be timid, um, God called you, God put you in this place, um, like go and go hard mm-hmm. uh, don 't again, some of it whether it 's personality or you know because I was twenty three when I started pastoring i was I was really timid about some things, um, and it took me a while to get to get past that, um, so there was a um, maybe a boldness that I, looking back, that I didn't have yep. um, a different kind of courage as a leader that I think that I needed. Um, and I'll say this one, I think you guys will relate to it. I could do that really well from the pulpit. Mm-hmm. Um, not so much when it's one-on-one or I'm encountering the situations away from the pulpit. I don't know if that makes sense or not. The,
0: uh, I like how was it Matt Chandler says we can be um, lions or bulldogs in the pulpit and like sheep in the streets. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, really the truth.
1: Yeah, And I, that's, that's a lot of where I was, especially yeah. as a young pastor.
0: Um, we're close to the end, and I want to let these guys uh, ask you some stuff. So what one book other than the Bible has most influenced your life? And I, and I don't even mind if you want to say life, because I know for me, there's difference between ones that's influenced me, like life and then ministry. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um,
1: that's a really hard question. Yeah. Because um, I love books. Ugh, yeah. So I, I would probably have to answer this like in categories. Nerd
0: <laughs> <If I'm>, Nerds <laughs> like me like. like that <laughs> yeah, stuff. I know,
1: right? Personally speaking, as a husband, um, pastor, young pastor, the um, the book Finishing Strong by yeah, Steve Farrar. I you telling us Oh, my it. goodness. Like. <coughs> Um, just rocked my world. And maybe it was the timing, the, where I was at in my life at the time. Um, but I, it's still one that I go back to, you know, from time to time. Yeah. Um, so that was that was a huge one. Um, when I first started pastoring, John Maxwell was like the stuff. Yeah. You know, so John Maxwell's leadership books. If you've read one of them, you've read them all. Read There's them like, all. Yeah, it's exactly like 47 it. of them, but they're all the same. They just rearrange the chapters or something. I'm not sure how that works, but... Um, those were those were really big in terms of, of some leadership stuff, um, and then like mere Christianity, yeah. you know, some of the just the ones that's like everybody says mere Christianity, Christianity. But you know, it's how true. do you not? It really is. Um, so that was that was a big one. Recently, did I see? I don't know if it was you. Are you guys reading the Dark Side of Leadership? Yeah, that's what we Yeah, that one we have done with our staff, yeah. which has been really good. Um, dangerous Calling.
0: Oh, uh, uh, Platt. Um, or Trip. Trip. Yeah. Trip, yeah. Was uh, really... I
1: have actually got that one
0: on the agenda.
1: For okay, the yeah, yeah it's really, Dude, that was yeah. a really good one. So I could talk about books, you yeah. know, all night long. Um, as far as church planting, you know, Ed Stetzer's stuff so, is, you know, it's going to be up there yeah. at the top. Um, one other one that, that I thought about today, and I hadn't thought about this in a while, but um, Bob Russell, who was the pastor at, Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Louisville, Kentucky. Um, pastor there for fifty years. Mega church, several thousand people. Um, Kyle Idleman is there oh, now. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Bob Russell wrote a book called "After Fifty Years of Ministry," hmm. and it's just a look back of That's going. Awesome. Okay, after fifty years, here's what I would say. Yeah, um, and That's it was awesome, yeah. that was a really I read that one probably. Four or five years ago and it just rocked my world yeah. like I finished it and it's like okay I'm just going to start that one all over that's again <laughs> a, yeah it really was um, so that that's a few of them I know you said one but that's, oh, that's, that's kind of I, a few of, I
0: like the sample because that's what I
1: want to read um, and then the last one would you do it all over again uh, absolutely yeah. Both, yeah. without hesitation that's awesome. I can't imagine doing anything else yeah. and and we've talked about that Um <clears throat> If I were doing anything else, it would have to be like teaching and some, you know, something that's my passion. Um, but I, yeah, in, in a minute. Yeah. Um, of all the frustrations and the disappointments and even, the COVID years, uh, you know, this <laughs> it's, it's, is and it's just dead. been one and it's like, yeah. years. <laughs> yeah, no, it feels like years, the years. Um, even in all that, like, uh, <clears throat> there's, there's nothing like it. Yeah. The, the joy of, of ministry and serving in that way and, and the privilege, you know, mm-hmm. for us to be able to do it um, is huge. And uh, absolutely, we've we'll done it all over again. You
0: guys have any questions about anything. He'll take,
1: he'll take anything.
2: <laughs> ask
0: oh, that actually would be better. At least, at least some microphones that, that the rest of the guys could hear. Okay. Yeah, sit sit with us. <laughs> you guys well, want to come I'll, up? I'll move further up, and <laughs> you can come we'll be up. Like Jesus and little children.
2: <laughs> okay, my name's Henry. Um, my question is: Given your background of youth pastoring, mm-hmm. traditional pastoring, and church planning. Um, And then I actually want to zoom out, not just from a pastor perspective or a deacon perspective, but from a Christianity perspective. Mm -hmm. Given the world today, and America specifically, where do you see the opportunity for Christians? And and when I say opportunity, it really could also be what we see as an opportunity, but in reality, the moment might be more of a threat or a risk, Mm. Um, and there's, when you think about threats and risk, you could easily come up with TV and phone mm. and all kinds of things. Um, but just kind of blending threats and opportunities, if if a Christian said, "I'm looking to make the biggest difference I can," mm. and just my hands are open, where yeah. where should I go?
1: Mm. Um.
0: He's going to, don't, just do Buffalo, New York. <laughs> yeah, right, I was exactly. about to say, I was like, <laughs> I know how this works. <laughs> <clears throat>
1: I, would, I would say it this way, um, and this is the church planter in me, and I, and I know that it is, um, but go where it's the darkest, find, and I'm not, this is not like a throwdown on anybody no, that's no, not that's doing fine. church planting, um, so please don't take it that no. way, but... Um, the, the needs, especially outside of the Bible Belt, are so incredible that I think living here, we we kind of have blinders that, um, we were talking the other day just driving, um, I don't know, we've been in Raleigh for a few days, I was speaking at a conference there, but uh, I, think, I guess that's when it was what we were talking about. It's, it's weird, again, just driving seeing Baptist churches on every corner, because uh, we don't have that. You can literally drive like, Miles in between evangelical churches, um, so it's the most it's the most difficult. It takes for us we'll say it takes years for us to get a um, a Catholic to where they'll hear us or trust us enough even to consider coming. I had a guy, Charlie. Um, I rented an office when I first moved to Buffalo. He was the insurance guy. was in an office below me and um we we do a lot of community stuff because we've got to get our name out there and, and we really we genuinely do want to love on our community and help and he would sponsor his business like hey what can I do he's like um like if you donate 500 dollars, that helps absolutely and you'd write the check and so he did this for a couple years and so we were doing a friend day type thing and so I was like Charlie will not you do me a favor this week And he's like All right. I was like I want you to come to church with me Sunday and he's like, you know, I'm Catholic. I can't do that. And I said, you don't ask I said, me? no. I said, like, you've been a friend to me. You've been a friend to our church, and like, I, I just like for you to come. And he said, he said, Brian, I, I love you, and I'll do anything for you. He said, but my grandmother would roll over in her grave if I went to anything other than a Catholic church, and that was it. Like, and at that moment, it was like, okay, like he wasn't joking anymore. No, it was so, um, and I've never been able to reach Charlie. We still have good, good relationship, friendship. We see each other. Um, but the, the challenge of that, of just going somewhere where it's like, I don't automatically get a pass because I'm a Baptist, and they go, we were looking for a Baptist church. That doesn't happen to us, you know what I mean? Um, so we, we don't get the free pass. Um, Buffalo is, is that kind of an area for me. There are places that are worse than Buffalo. So if I were just talking to a young guy that's like, gung-ho, hey, what, what would you do? I'd say, go where it's darkest. Like, find a spot. Um, I've got a friend that's in Provo, Utah, and um, like, COVID, of course, as it did, affected everything. So they've gone now to a house church model, which I don't necessarily, I'm not into the house church movement. It's not necessarily what I would do. Um, But they're reaching and baptizing people left and right right now. COVID's been the best thing ever happened to force them into the home, and he's baptizing people in swimming pools every week. Like, and these are, Like they baptized one this week. It took they visit. They were outdoor knocking of all things in Provo, Utah, Um, and they meet this lady and she starts asking questions. A month later, gives her life to Christ and they just baptized her last week. Like so, those are the kind of things that light my fire now. Of um, at some point, we've got to go back to these spots and these areas where it may be dangerous, where it's not going to be convenient, where it's not going to be nobody's knocking the door down to go to Buffalo. And I don't say that, like, because of uh, a, like, I don't, please don't take it that way. But people say all the time, why would you come to Buffalo? Everybody's trying to get out of (laughs) Buffalo. Even people Uh, in Buffalo. And they are, (laughs) yeah. They're like, well, we wouldn't move here if we had the choice. Um, But, so, that would be, that would be my thing. Like, find a, find a place like that and go and just make a difference. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So... Let me come as far as
0: just can. Maybe I aside. should have gave you this moment. I, know, I should have, We should have reversed it. Yeah.
2: So I've got a semi-hypothesis kind of similar to you. And when I left Georgia and –
0: graduated from Cambridge, by the way. Okay.
2: Well, I was there. I was there. And uh, the, you are in Habersham, and if – You may not be the majority but you're at least one welcome and two you've got a support group Mm -hmm. and then i went to college in georgia and it's a little bit smaller group but they're there Mm -hmm. and then you leave and it's like what you say you leave the bible belt and it is minority Mm -hmm. flat out minority um and so i think i have had asked people questions kind of what Mitch is talking about, like, why are you, like, serve and love people to where they ask you why. And people have literally asked me, like, how do you and Stephanie have such a great relationship? And that's really easy for me to answer and it's to witness that way. But there's still a huge opportunity that I see in all of America. Like, you see a lot of people in corporate leadership that I, I think, feel church is a personal thing. Mm-hmm. Like, that guy goes to church, but he keeps them to himself. Yeah, That is the mentality of the rest yeah. of America. Yeah. So I think one of the things that when I was put in those positions, one is courage, but two, just to be really honest, just given my age and, was a lack of being prepared to answer very difficult questions. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so my question to you is, being in Buffalo, what difficult questions do you come across and what resources and how do you answer those questions?
1: Most, most of the questions that we deal with have to do with Catholicism um, and the differences between those. Um, my daughter, she's 17, um, and one of her best friends is, is a boy. Um, and they better just be, be friends, friends. <laughs> right. but he's but he's Catholic and he um, he's like devout Catholic and so between Tim who's on staff with me and myself and the questions that Lauren has had I couldn't tell you how many hours that we've that we've invested in just talking about um, everything from the sacraments to uh, to Mary and why not pray to the saints, to purgatory. Uh, and these are all the, so the, the questions that we're getting, and, and we have a lot of uh, young families and the opportunity because of the Catholic influence and Catholic universities that are in the area. So that's, that's the bulk of what we're dealing with um, personally. Um, and so we've, we've used a number of different resources um, one of the things that we just keep going back to, especially with Josh, is we're just going to stay in the scriptures. Like, let's just go to the scriptures. Um, and it gets really hard for them to argue purgatory when I'm just, saying, okay, here's the Bible, show me. Well, it's not like, okay, well, you just, you just said a mouthful, you know what I mean? So, um, so that's, we can find a ton of resources and we've built documents and we've written papers and we've done all those kind of things. Um, but it really, not to negate your question, but what I've found personally is if I can build a strong enough relationship with them, they'll give me time to answer the question, but I've got to invest in that relationship first, and once I have that relationship, then I can get the resources, have the conversations, and it's not going to be, a, okay, the timer's running, give me your answer, as much as it's going to be, hey, get back with me on that. I'd like to, I'd like to mm-hmm. keep talking about that. Uh, and this girl Rachel, I talked about, um, brilliant, just brilliant. She speaks like four languages, uh, plus sign language. I mean, she's she's a brilliant girl. Um, and it was um, she with um, our interpreter and her husband Tim is the one on staff with me, but um, he spent I can't tell. You, he wrote 20 and 30 page documents just to answer her stuff. Yeah. And she would take him straight to the priest and say. Okay, here's what he said. What well, do you tell him <laughs> and it's this yeah. back and forth thing that's 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 been a weird little dynamic that uh, that happens. Um I don't know if that answers your question exactly.
2: Uh-huh.
1: I guess what comes to my mind is like the Robbie Yeah, uh-huh. I'm sure what well, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Well, I was going to say though, I was like, you actually have a background in apologetics, right. Which is Correct. the the which is the discipline, the field of study that you're talking about, the defense of the Christian faith. And that's what I was going to ask you. If you had to say, you know, here's if you had to give three apologetic type books to somebody mm-hmm. to you know for them to read, so they have some sense of answers, what would be your like top three?
1: Oh man, um, mere Christianity. Yeah. <laughs> mere Christianity is <laughs> one of knows. them. Um, I had Norman Geisler. Norman, Ge- Norman, Ge- Norman Geisler was one of my professors. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so anything with his name on it. I knew that he
0: had went through, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, even while we yes. were as, I remember that as a kid yeah, coming like, Lauren, on Sunday
1: nights. Lauren is doing that for her Bible class right now. She's yeah. homeschooled, and we're yeah. doing that together. Yeah, I so, don't have enough faith um, to be an atheist. Frank Turek and Norman Geisler. Yeah. Um, probably William Lane Craig's Reasonable Faith. Faith. Or Josh McDowell's. Yeah. Uh, more than a carpenter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or the even was. Or the, like oh, the oh I, uh, uh,
0: evidence that yeah, demands evidence, a verdict. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That's almost like an encyclopedia. Yeah, the newest one is like. Yeah, yeah It's like your family Bible yeah, kind of thing.
0: Uh, if yeah, if you wanted to kind of like a that's probably the best way to say it is if you wanted a tool that you can look at many re, like many questions mm-hmm. uh, evidence that demands yeah. a verdict. I think the best cumulative case for Christianity, reasonable faith by William Lane Craig. And then the more accessible to the public would definitely be, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Yeah. I wouldn't, I, uh, um, I would say, I'd give, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist to a lay person first, Absolutely. and yeah. maybe like your you know, more sophisticated type yeah. thinker, uh, reasonable faith. Mere Christianity is so hard, it's because
1: people's illiteracy. It is, it really is, yeah.
0: Like if you're a good reader, you'll love it. Yeah, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah, I can give you those books. Matter of fact, actually, you do you one better. If you go to mtcarmeldembers.com forward slash notes, go to the bottom, it says, like, Josh's apologetics reading list. Now, it's got all of them. You know what I'm saying? Like, all the ones, but all the ones I just mentioned are on there as well. And I can say and this. There's so many
1: good ones. There's in so life, many. And it, because Lee Strobel's stuff. Lee Strobel's
0: stuff. And honestly, uh, J. Warner Wallace's J. Warner new Wallace, stuff is yeah. very accessible.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, if I had to only hand out one book for me personally, uh, The Case for the Resurrection by Gary Habermas and Mike Lacona. Um, but I can say this one of my, I mean, I have a master's in apologetics. It's a lot doing part two, his like, Sunday night ministries going through apologetics. And we went to apologetics conferences together. Um, so I can say that. And like, Ron, that's probably that Ron Rhodes
1: has, um, for specific things, like the 10 most important things to say to a Mormon Mm -hmm. um, or to a cat. Like, so he did a, I think his was the 10 or was that Ankerberg's? I can't remember which one they all run together now, but, um, but Ron Rhodes stuff reasoning from the scriptures with a Catholic. I think that's what his stuff Uh, is. The
0: other one that comes to mind on those type books, uh, the guy who wrote tactics, Greg Kokel, Mm -hmm. Greg Kokel's book tactics. It's just about how to engage in those conversations. Uh, and it's more like you said, kind of like, how do I build a relationship and speak respectfully on these diverse issues? Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a book more about that concept. Yeah. It's really good.
2: When I think about how you deal with homosexuality, yes, that's what, like, I would mm-hmm. like to do, you know, because I've had Mormon friends, Catholic friends, gay
0: friends. I mean, I've got, yeah. I just need, need, like, resources. Mm-hmm. And I would say that, no lie, the reason um, I wrote that apologetics list, and it's broken down like that, homosexual issues, Hermeneutic issues, all those things, was because I mean, this I had so many people coming to me like, What's a book on the issue of homosexuality? Yeah. Well, here's like, here's my top five. You know what I mean? So I encourage everybody, like, if it's apologetics in my mind, is something that it's the Christian giving a biblical defense to the, the, the question. You know what I mean? Like, this is what we believe. And um, I'm not, it's, it is there to persuade, but it's ultimately just to tell you for them to hear the reason why we believe what we believe. And so I'd encourage everyone to like download it and then put it in like your wish list on Amazon and tell people to buy it off your list for you and read one at a time. And if I've got it, you're more than welcome to take it. Um, that's one of the reasons even here why I want to build a library of just tens of like each of those books mm-hmm. so that people can walk in and just grab it really yeah, and engage it. Because, yeah, you're getting more, qu- we're getting more, I feel like we're in a culture that asks more questions than ever.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. That's why I read poor a lot. And there's a lot yeah. of secular, mm-hmm. uh, like secular
0: people asking religious questions. Religious questions. Yeah. And the other thing I said, and uh, I was in a class with Dr. Craig, and he had made the statement, and i tell this to so many people in our church, and because it actually is a very encouraging statement, is when he says, he said, remember, in 2,000 years of church history, the church has probably already answered some variation of the question. And it's the truth. Mm-hmm. Like, even with the, the advancements in technology, philosophically, things still haven't changed. Right. Yep. So the application changes, but the philosophy behind what's going on, oh, it's, it's the truth is as old as God himself. So uh, he's just like, don't ever be afraid of a question because Aquinas answered it. Or, you know what I mean? Like, you just, like, you just, just, you just haven't read it yet, yeah. but somebody answered it. Yeah. Yeah. Any other questions? I was actually gonna say this, when when in this way, not, not just call it quits, but how would you discern when to transition from a ministry? Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Um, from ministry to ministry or just out of? Both ends. Both ends. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I've, I've not quitted, yeah, <laughs> in the big picture, so I, I don't know that I, that I, yeah, so mine would be more of a transition thing. Um, I can only speak from my experiences. So my two ministries I left, one, I was a youth pastor, um, and I, I just, I wanted to pastor, I wanted to preach, like those were, those are big things. And then we were just not settled, um, with where we were. And the, again, I, I love the guy. Um, but our work style and approach to things were just so different that it became, um, we knew after we were there two years, after the first year, it was like, we're not going to be here long. Like, And it wasn't bad. We still have a good relationship. We just, there's certain people you can't work with. Um, and that became that for us. So that was an easy one. Um, <clears throat> the second one, going from pastoring to church planting, um, at the time, for me, I just felt like we hit a, a wall where it was... Um, I've taken them as far as I can take them. Whether that was fair or true or whatever, but it was like, I've, we, we keep hitting the ceiling, we, we keep getting to this point, we just, I remember when I'm wrestling through, okay, what's going on? I was, I was at my grandmother's house, and you know weird conversations stick out to you. So, I'm at my grandmother's house, and she's, her sister is there, so this would be my great aunt, I guess. And they're talking, I mean, they're just whatever. And so my great aunt said something to the effect about living where she lives. They've lived in the same house now for 50 years or whatever. And my grandmother says, I don't know how you do that being right there on the railroad tracks. Just conversation, right? No big deal. So her sister looks at her and says, oh, we we reached the point a long time ago where we don't even hear the trains when they come. And it was like, that's where I am in ministry. Like, I just felt like the train, <laughs> and I'm barreling down the tracks, and I'm making a lot of noise, and nobody's hearing it. Um, now, again, that's, I think that was just God's way of moving me. Um, and they, I think a lot of the people would have had a completely different assessment of that. Maybe some thought I should have gone a lot sooner. Um, yeah, people are all across the board when that kind of stuff. Um, but that was, that was the thing when I, I remember going home and I told him, I was like, I think I finally figured it out. And she's like, wait you mean I said, cause we were already talking about church planting and we were just trying to like, what are we doing? And why is this not working? And are we spinning our tracks? Are we, um, and that, that conversation as innocent as it was just talking about living on the railroad tracks for 50 years was a light bulb for it was, me. that uh, changed the paradigm. It really did. Yeah. yeah. It, it changed it in a way that, so that was that. Was, so for us, it was it was twofold. We had this burning desire. I've always wanted to do a church plant. Um, I don't know why, other than God just put that okay. on our heart to do it. So I always felt like at some point we're going to do it. Um, but I could have, and, and I think you'd agree with this. I could have stayed where I was and retired there. Uh, is yeah. that fair? That I don't think. Um, yeah. So we could have easily finished our ministry there. I think you know. Yeah. But, just, I'm barring yeah. some major you know catastrophe or whatever um, was, before you
0: there was two things about it no lie i'll never forget when dad called me i was in college and because i wasn't able to be there you know i was in college the whole time he's like man i just want you to call and let you know that pb's leaving i was like what like why is he leaving and uh, so what's he doing what other church snagged him up yeah that's the first thing i thought he goes man no i think I think he's gonna go plant a church in Buffalo. I was like, then that's God. Like, I just say like, and we just quickly accepted it. Like, who would wanna to go to Buffalo? I mean, that exactly. was so like, no lie in my mind,
1: like. Has he seen the bills? I know,
0: has he, <laughs> <laughs> oh, so long. I mean, just now, I was joking with his son, like, now you can finally pull for somebody. Like, man, you've been there a decade. And then the, the other thing I was gonna say, just cause I keep seeing, when I hear, I ask these questions a lot to just various ministers, youth pastors, worship pastors, pastors, and the best way I've seen it explained uh, was from Chuck Lawless. He wrote this in one of his articles. And, and I think it, I'm seeing this, I've think I'm seen this as a template, and you can almost lay it on every pastor's story. Is He says, uh, I look for both a push and a pull. Mm-hmm. He says, because there's a lot of times where you're, you're a pastor, and there's a pull, to, like, I want to plant a church, right? Mm-hmm. Or this church is even calling me. But I don't have, I don't have any, like, any reason, not just objective reasons, but no, nothing that's pushing me along right. either. Yeah. And he says, and you'll know when it's both a push and a pull. Like, I desire to be here. Yeah. And in some ways, it's like, and this chapter is closed. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, and when you can get both of those, like, he, he would yeah. suggest, really move good. along, move along. Yeah. But if it's, I've, I've, know, I've been in situations where it's like, I really want to get out of this. But I have, I have no desire to go. It's just, I want to get out of this. Yeah. See what I mean? Like in, and I think there's a little bit like, well, sometimes you just have to learn to be patient and forbear things. And then no, like God has not only opened a door, but I'm also ready to go. Yeah. Like, yeah. So go. That's really good. Uh, but law, lawless, I remember reading through that, and that really stuck with me. And that's how my wife, if you asked her today, that's what she'd tell you. Like it was a push and a pull. Anybody else? last chance